If you have your Bibles, open them up, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and as Ben already touched on it, inside of your bulletin, you're going to see an insert that has to do with our ministry teams and the standing committees. Uh, Today will be the last time you'll see that. Uh, That is for all the members to look and to see where you might have interest in serving because we would love to know what that is and to put you uh, in in that area of service. So, if you haven't done that already, please do. Today, right after the, uh, the service is through, over in the fellowship hall, we got an opportunity to do something really big and really special, and that is, well, other than we're going to eat really good food, um, spaghetti, salad, bread, and peach cobbler, I think is what's on the menu. Um, we're also going to have the opportunity to donate or sponsor a child Uh, an orphan child that the team uh, was made aware of when they were in Guatemala that month ago or so. And uh, there's actually 16 children that we can uh, sponsor or have the opportunity to provide the means that they would have food. Uh, And I believe everything else, education, medical, and everything that just comes with that, it's a very big deal. That's the purpose for today. Uh, after church, so if you want to be a part of that, and it's going to bless you way more than it's going to bless them, and it's going to change their lives, but we have a chance to be the arms and the heart and the, the legs and the mouth of Jesus today and uh, picking up a, a child that really needs the help. So anyway, we're, that's what uh, we're going to get to see. It'll be short and sweet on the presentation. Uh, the food will be sweet. And, uh, and what we do will be, will be uh, uh, eternally uh, impacting. Um, what I want us to look at today, not just today, but it's next week. It's a two-week uh, message. And it's a, a very important one, especially for our church. Um, and so on that, you'll find our background reading. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Now, I want you to think for a moment about a tombstone when you see a tombstone. A tombstone uh, in a graveyard that you will find will have a date of birth on the tombstone. It will have a date of death, and it will have a dash, a dash in between. Above these things is usually the name of the deceased, and below usually is some kind of a, of a statement. But the main part of the tombstone is the dash. It's the dash. It's all about the dash. Uh, because the dash is talking to us about what happened with that person in between while that person was here on earth. When we see God, and we're all going to see God, When we see God, He's going to want to discuss the dash. That's what God is going to look at. He's going to look at the dash. He's going to want to know what we did uh, and how we lived our lives, how we served Him while we were here on this earth life experience. Now, God has a plan that involves every single one of us and His eternal principles 
uh, that he has set forth in creation and to the reason why you're here and the reason why I'm here, there is a plan. There is a plan. There's a lot of people, and they don't even think they matter, they make a difference, but they are so mistaken, and they are so led astray on that thought. There is a reason for your existence, as well as mine. There is an eternal plan. God is in the business of doing things, and He chooses to use us. He doesn't have to use us, but He chooses to use us. Now let that sink in for a moment. You have been placed on this planet for a reason. There's a purpose. Your first purpose is to know Jesus. God's desire is that you would come to know His Son, escape the judgment of damnation, and to walk with Him like, a heaven, like an earthly father or mother who really loves their children to the point to where they will discipline and they will lead and they will instruct. They will pour their heart and soul into their child so that their child turns out to be the type of individual that that parent wants their child to be. So much more is God and how He looks at all of us. Every single one of us in this room. His first purpose for all of us is that we would know Jesus. The Bible says God is not slow concerning His promise, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all come to repentance through Jesus. That's God's purpose for you. The second purpose for you, God wants you to get plugged in. God wants you to make Him known to everyone around you. Everyone around you is going into that deep, dark hole and there is no bottom to it. It is not going to be well for them. And many don't even know what's going on. They're living their lives as if this is the only thing that matters. God wants us, every single one of us, to be that light, to help people to know this is not as good as it gets. And most of the time, a lot of the time, it's not good down here. Fear, sickness, health, disasters, death, disease. Um, people are looking for a way out, and you have the answer to how to get out. So God's second purpose for all of us is to be that light for others, because they don't even a lot of people they don't even know what they're looking for. But we know, and we know the difference maker. And then if there's a third purpose for being here, it's not just to know Jesus. It's not only to uh, know what His purpose is for you in being the light, but it's to get involved at a church, an active church, a church that is alive, and to grow and reach the community and the world outside of where that church is located. God is the one that came up with the idea of church. Mankind did not invent church. Jesus invented the church. In fact, you know, the church in the New Testament and the four Gospels is referred to as a mystery. At the very beginning of all time, God knew what was going to take place, especially when His own people refused and rejected their Messiah, Jesus. And the Bible says that God turned from that period of time because it didn't catch Him off guard, and the birth of the church came into being. 
The church was never originally going to be a part of the plan. But when he came unto his own, and his own received him not, there was a plan. And I'm kind of thankful for that, because here we are as a result of that. Now we know there is a day coming. When the Bible says when the days of the church experience the church life is over and it's gone. And the Bible says that he will at that moment turn one more time back to the Jews. We are living in that time of the church experience. And God wants every single believer involved in the local body of believers, the church. Now, throughout this year... Uh, we have covered many areas of great importance uh, that has to do with the church and the role um, as members being a part of the church here. Covering topics that remind us that we better be practicing what we believe, restructuring our ministry teams and carrying out the work of the church, implementing plans on strengthening our deacon body, Creating ministerial positions where strong ministerial leadership can begin growing particular areas of interest within our church body. Uh, these are just a few things to mention. Growing involves sacrifice. I'll say that again. Growing involves sacrifice. If we are unwilling to sacrifice, then we choose to lose, and that's just all there is to it. What I hope to be and what I am right now are two different things, just like it is with you. Only time will tell if I will live up to be what I hope to be. Now today and next week, like I said earlier, I want us to look at another area uh, that is found in that dash in that dash. It's the one area that most people have the most problems with. And it's that one area that most people, or a lot of people, they don't even want to discuss. And that is the area that has to do with our tithes and our offerings. Now, if you're a visitor today, I, I, my human nature says, well, you picked a really good day to come. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about tithing. We're going to talk. And I want you to know, as, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, here's another one of those preachers, and he's talking about money. I've been here 26 years. This is the first time I've ever done it. Now, I haven't been the pastor that time, but I have been up here in this pulpit a few million times within that period of time when I wasn't a senior pastor. I am not that kind of pastor. Now, it is a sad day that we have the feelings that we have when we think of hearing a message that has to do with finances because of the abuse that is done that we see. You can almost see it if you want. If you, you don't even have to look hard. Every single day or night, you can turn on the TV and you can find the abuse of it somewhere on some channel. Well, you're not going to find that here today. But we are going to look at it because well wishes and pats on the back don't pay bills. And so the most important thing is having a right perspective of how God can help you to grow your money 
is what I want you to hear. All right? It's a, it's a big deal. You know, the finance committee right now is faced with the task of having to budget out all of next year to cover all the areas of ministries that we do. And if you look at the list, uh, it's four pages long, and it's small print. It's lots of line item stuff. And everything that you see on those pages has every single thing to do with every single time the heart beats in relation to this church. What we're alive to, what we're doing, what we hope to do, what we want to do, what many of you feel led we need to be doing. And they are tasked with the job at making sure we have the funding that goes with it. And all of that funding is based on what you do or on what you don't do. Not everybody ties. And that's just a fact. It's just not just a Red Baptist church thing. It's an every church thing. And you can't help but wonder, what would happen if? What would happen if everyone would look at what the Word has to say about this in a non-threatening way, and everyone were to decide for themselves, you know what? From this moment on, I'm going to do my part. I don't have much to offer, but I'm going to do my part. Jesus was, as many of you know the story, was in the temple and saw the widow, and she just gave, she gave two little mites, two little coins. They were so insignificant. And yet Jesus said that she gave more than everyone else. He was coming and putting in large sums of money because she gave sacrificially. So many of us, when we give, we give. It's within our means, and we give our 10%. She gave sacrificially. And the reason why she gave sacrificially is because her love of God was much higher than everyone else that was in that temple that day. What you believe in is what you're going to invest in. And God building His kingdom and doing the work that He is doing... Um, the gas in the tank, what fuels us doing what we want to do and hope to do and, uh, and what we can do is based off of the church's obedience in this area. And that's just it. That's just it. So the finance committee, they're going to look at where we are now. They're going to kind of examine the things that we've done to make sure everything is in line with the church's purpose and what we're doing. And then they're going to step out a little bit on faith on the things that we really got to do, but the money's not there. But we're going to pray and hope God's going to provide. All three of those are very, very scary, tough areas to come up with answers because you're relying on other people to do their job. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a look at eight principles. We're going to look at four of them today, and we're going to go eat lunch. And as a background, I want you to take a look with me at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse uh, 19, and see what Jesus has to say. He said this. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth or rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Let me ask you this right here. 
How do you... How do you lay up for yourselves treasures in a place called heaven? Now we hear that. What does that mean? How do you do that? I, I can't drive there and make a deposit. But the Bible says I can. And we're going to look at that in a second. It says, uh, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more, much more, than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow it is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, today I want us to take a look at four of those eight principles. Principle number one that surrounds God's method of growing your money. Principle number one, money is for pleasure. Money is for pleasure. Now, we just heard the best advice given by the greatest financial advisor the world has ever known. Jesus himself. But pleasure is the emphasis. Whose pleasure is it for, you may ask? The Bible spells it out for us in this order. Jesus, others, and then self. It's that order. It's that order. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. The moment your focus 
uh, that is, you're craving with the preoccupation of needing to have more and more and more is what puts you in that dangerous place. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. That's a scary place to be. Uh, I want you to take a look at this slide up here. It is powerful. Someone has said, don't accumulate too much of it in its earthly form because it cannot buy many of the things you need most. It can buy recreation, but it cannot buy happiness. It can buy a bed, but it can't buy sleep. It can buy books, but it cannot buy wisdom. It can buy friends, but it cannot buy friendships. It can buy food, but it cannot buy an appetite. It can buy a house, but it cannot buy a home. It can buy medicine, but it cannot buy health. Is that not true? Amen or amen? Amen. Now, God knows what you need. And in Matthew chapter 6, 33, he said the words, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Every single time I have been asked in all these years, how can I discover God's will for my life? This is the verse I go to. I have said it a zillion times. Matthew 6, Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you know what that means? That means the first thing that I'm going to do is be heavenly minded. I need to be focused on much more than what I see out in front of me right here. The Bible says to be focused on eternal things first. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. What is His righteousness? That's the way I'm going to live my life. Am I going to go to church and live one way, act one way, and then the minute I get out these doors, I'm going to live another way? A hypocritical way? Seek first His kingdom. That means the things that's taking place over there, up there, wherever... And his righteousness. That means what I do right now. And then Jesus says, and all these things will be added unto you. He knows what you're thinking. Where I'm going to live. Who I'm going to marry. What am I going to do? What am I going to drive? He knows those things. But y'all, it is an act of faith when we exercise, okay, I'm going to seek first His kingdom, and then I'm going to live for Him His righteousness, and by doing that, I'm going to trust Him to provide everything that's going on. That's an act of faith. That's just an act of faith. We are used to wanting to self-preserve where we are to protect ourselves, and then we think about, but it's not that way. Giving is an act of faith too. It's an act of faith as well. But money is for pleasure. And looking at the Ten Commandments, we see a couple of the Ten Commandments that carries the same principles 
of this money is for our pleasure. When we read, do not steal and do not covet, stealing and coveting are condemned by God. God protects the things that he gives you by giving out these commandments. Money is for our pleasures. The second principle, convert your gains quickly to permanence. Convert your gains quickly to permanence. None of us can buy our way into heaven. Not a single person. However, we are told that our money can go to work for us in heaven. Now, that sounds crazy. But you read it just like I read it in this thing we call the Bible. The Bible makes it clear your money can go to work for you in another place. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, as we read earlier, Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will, there will your heart be also. Every single time you tithe, you are converting your assets to the hereafter. That's just not a preacher trying to say something. That's what Jesus just said. Every single time. That is what we just read. That chair that you're sitting in right now, someone else paid for you to sit in that chair. This second summer that we have down here in this place we live in called Texas, while everyone else is experiencing fall weather, but we get to tomorrow morning, amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. One more day of ridiculous heat. This AC that we have in this room was bought and paid for because of the people that give uh, in, in this church. The buildings, the renovations that we have done in these last seven to eight years alone have been incredible. It's the sacrifice of the members to the praise and glory of God. And that is all laid up. Those sacrifices, there were treasures. I mean, we not only have great things that we're looking at that we need, but the future of God's church has something that can invite people to come here where they feel uh, welcomed, where everything is up to date. Nothing is running uh, behind or lagging of something that we need. Where I'm not the mathematician, but 68,000 for the rec and restrooms. We finished the volleyball court officially two weeks ago. The Gaga pit for the children. We got the sump pump ready to go, and out of 68,000 to finish off, which is the last point, which is the women's restroom, is uh, 68,000. We lack 25,000 on the dot. I don't know how that worked out. That's just weird to me, but it's 25. It's on the back of your bulletin. You can see it every Sunday morning. Every time you give, every time you sacrifice, Y'all, it not only changes things down here, obviously, because we can look around and see it, it changes things in your account in heaven that you cannot see. But you will see when you get there. You will see it. That blows my mind. 
And it's a big deal with him. It's a really big deal with him. God wants to convert your dollars into spiritual activity. How about what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19? Paul told Timothy, he said this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I don't know if you caught something, but I want you to see this. Did you notice that when Jesus was talking in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, when he says, for yourselves, and here in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, you find the words, for themselves. This is no accident, y'all. This is no accident. This is for you, and this is for me to know and to remember. This is your money stored up in heaven for you. And please understand what I mean when I say that. Whatever you give, the Bible says there will be a return on it for you. Sometimes that happens right here on earth. Other times, it always happens in heaven. I remember the powerful testimony that Victoria gave some months ago on tithing. And it was, it was man, it was good. It was powerful. My wife, Didi, she has powerful testimonies on this same area that I've heard from her. Your obedience is being credited to your account. I want to say that again. In this area that we call tithing, your obedience is being credited to your account. You will see it again. Now, I'm not saying you're going to care. I'm not going to be up there with Joss and, hey, bank looks pretty good. Let's go take. That's not the point. The point is we're going to see it again. We're going to be able to see the impact of what we did. And then the best part. The best part is when God shows all the manifestations, the results that happened because we were faithful in giving and what that money did in impacting other people around us. We're going to go over in just a few moments and we're going to have lunch. And you have the opportunity to sponsor a child, an orphan, that does not have a mom and dad, that lives in a third world, that doesn't have anything. And for just $35 a month or $420 for a year, we can change that life radically. That's just barely over a dollar a day. 
I was talking uh, just last week with someone, uh, one of our members. Everybody knows this member, awesome member in our church. And she made the comment. She was talking about, we got on the subject of talking about the Guatemala trip and, and the orphans. And she made this comment. And she said, I never would have seen this, but I saw it the way she phrased it. She made the comment and she said, you know, giving is not hard for a lot of people, but sacrificial kind of giving would be difficult for most people. And I sat there and I thought, to, I, and, I, and she said that, and I said, okay, what do you mean by sacrificial? And she said, well, most people, they give, it's not sacrificial. They can give and they can just live without it. But sacrificially giving is really putting God to the test. And I sat there and I thought, man, I wonder if I can use that in that message I'm going to do a week from now. That was, that was really good. That was really good. You know, the Living Bible in that First Timothy passage translates that verse this way. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. Y'all do recognize, you do know, I know you know this. Just a reminder, we're not owners of what we have. We're just stewards of what we've got. We do remember that, right? We are just stewards. Um, a steward is someone who has been entrusted with the master's things. The steward does not own what the master owns. That belongs to the master. But the steward has been commissioned to be the overseer of all that the master has and that he puts everything where it needs to go. We are stewards of all that we have. If we have wealth, it is by the goodness of God and not because of the special merits of where you went to school or what you did to get where you're at. You know, Warren Wiersbe said, quote, and you'll see this on the screen, the possessing of material wealth ought to humble a person and cause him to glorify God, not himself. And lest you forget, and you would do well to remember what I'm about to tell you, it is possible to be rich in this world and be poor in the next. Now think about that. It is also possible to be poor in this world and to be rich in the next. Principle number three, use it or lose it. Whatever you have in life, if you don't have it, excuse me, if you don't use it, or if you don't make it work for you, you're going to lose it. A singer stops singing, they're going to lose their voice. Is that right, Emilio? You teach music, Ross? I think so. Okay. A singer's going to stop singing. Um, a bodybuilder who stops working out, he's going to lose his physique. When a house sits abandoned for a long period of time, it'll fall apart. Money is the same way. If you do not invest it wisely... It's gone. You know, around 450 B.C., the temple of the Israelites were, was in disarray. 
It literally was falling apart. It was in shambles. And the people did nothing to fix it. It didn't care. It didn't matter to them. But their homes were in mint condition. And in Haggai chapter 1, verse 9, I put this, did I put this in your bulletin? I meant to. I did. Haggai 1, 9, God told the Israelites and he said this, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. You see, instead of escaping poverty by not giving, they were actually increasing their own poverty. Now think about that. Now that's one of those, uh uh-oh. I'll say it again. Instead of escaping poverty by not giving, they were actually increasing their poverty position that they found themselves in. They would not give to God what they could, what they could, that's the key, what they could have given Him. So God increased their struggles and their living conditions. The problem with the Israelites, y'all, was this thing called priority. It was priority. God was just not a priority. To not give as he tells us to, why? So the kingdom can be impacted, so the work can be done. is literally saying God's not a priority. The house of God was a special place where God would meet them, and this place just wasn't all that important in their lives. It wasn't a central place in their lives. The people's sin on that day was a sin of omission. It was a sin of omission. You can hear their excuses uh, because their excuses will sound very familiar to the excuses that you've probably heard around here too. Well, it's a bad time to do a building fund. Well, we, 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 we just haven't recovered yet from the exile, God. Once we get more time and our feet on the ground get situated, then we'll, we'll start thinking about your house. Or how about this? We're in a bear market. We'll start giving when things get better. And the other one is, well, we know that we must live by faith, but you also have to have common sense too. And whatever excuses you've heard, on and on they made their excuses just like we do today, and we are no different than they And soon enough, their excuses prevailed, and what did they do? They opted to do nothing, and that's exactly what we do too. One commentator said, and you'll see this, quote, they thought that their bad season necessarily caused delay of their duty, but really it was their delay that was causing the bad seasons. You know, right after that, I need to put something positive up there. Philippians 4.18. Philippians 4.8 tells us, A gift to God is a fragrant offering that is pleasing to Him. Church, you have to put your money to, to work. You're gonna, you need to use it or you're going to lose it. And then the last principle that we're going to look at is we give, we give 
in order to get, in order to give. Give to get to give. God's Word tells us in uh, Luke 6.38, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap because no purse or checkbook is big enough. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. By your standard of measure, God's going to measure to you in return. When you want to be a channel for God's funds, God will see that you get the funds so that you can be. Now, there's a well-known theologian who made a comment one time when she was asked by someone if they were to tithe based off of their gross or their net. And this theologian's response was brilliant. She said, and you'll see it up here, well, that would depend on whether or not you want God to bless you on your gross or your net. That was my wife. I thought, I wish I would have said that. I would love to take credit for that. But I didn't. How do you want God to bless you? On your gross or on your net? Boy, we can be, we can be so stingy with what we think is ours. We are so protective. When the truth of the matter is, it's just an act of obedience. Do you trust God? Do you take Him at His word? And will you do it? It's a step of faith. God's plan is for us to trust Him in this area, y'all. And as we do, He promises to bless us. It's an act of of faith no one's buying a jet we're not putting in a jacuzzi in the pastor's office it's an act of faith it's doing the work of the church Red Baptist Church it's impacting the lives of hundreds and hundreds of kids every year vacation Bible school fall festival Camps, retreats, seminars, marriage seminars, uh, hospitality work, benevolent work, on and on and on and on it goes. There are some of you sitting here today that you came to know Jesus because the church put what they believe to be a calling on a minister's life. That at minister, this can be their full-time job. And they went out to give the good news of what salvation is and what it means. And you came to know Jesus because a church, of, a body of believers put enough confidence in that minister's ability to see to it that you got impacted. It's an act of faith. It's all an act of faith. Every single thing is for God's glory. Philippians 4.19 says, If we have given faithfully, our own needs will be abundantly supplied. God will not let you go wanting, but He will give back to meet your needs. So we're going to end this today on these four principles. And we're going to pick up next week on the remaining four. Today, will you choose to rethink this thing we call 
giving and tithing? And will you honor God in this area? It's a heart issue for all of us. It's a heart issue. And we will one day give an account of this issue. So what have we seen so far? Money is for our pleasure. We need to convert our gains quickly to permanence. Use it or lose it. And we give to get so we can give again. It's all, it's all about our obedience to Him. But moreover, what we do now goes on into eternity as well. So I'm going to ask you to do one thing when you go home. Have a talk with your spouse and ask your, talk to your spouse about what you think, about what you've heard today, what God, God's Word says to you in this area, and take a look and see if you're caught up on your tithes and your offerings. And if not, you have the privilege of being able to get caught up on that this next week. And uh, I wouldn't even say wait till next week to, to make it up. Send it in. Come up. Drop it off. It makes no difference. But in the meantime, just keep in mind, as we look at the back of our bulletin and we see where we're at, which actually, it's pretty good. But we still have not reached our budget year today. Um, the finance committee is just working. Well, how are they going to make up that, that loss of where we're at? Well, they have to cut stuff out. And that's why it's a, it's a tough position for them to be in. I believe, I've always believed, that God will always follow through with what he says. He's done it before, and he's going to do it again every stinking time. Every time. Why? Because God does not lie. He tells us that he will. It's impossible for him to lie. It's not his nature. It's ours. It's not his nature. He will never go back on his word. So you pray about it, and you ask God, God, where am I at on this? And if you need God to prick your heart, ask him to, and he'll do that too. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. God, we do want to thank you for the day that we have to be able to be in this place and to be able to talk to you about where we are and where you want us to be. Lord, I just want to ask that you would just speak to our hearts today in this area. It's just, it's just another, it's like a layer of an onion, God, where there's so many things in our lives we're just peeling back and looking to evaluate. And this one here happens to be our pocketbook. And God, I understand this is a sensitive issue with some people, but Lord, every single thing that we do is transparent and open for any church member at any time to look at. We've got nothing to hide. All we want to do, Lord, is we want to reach the goal, the task that you have put before us. And God, you will do that through the obedience of your church. This is your church. This is your body. It's not ours. So Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us today. And God, that you would move. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless those who are faithful in this area. And I pray, God, that you would bless those who are not faithful in this area, moving them to where you want them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.